Agro. 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 Hello humans, welcome to My Game Fiction Addiction, the podcast where we obsess over the greatest plot lines, characters and fictional worlds of video games. Does what it says on the tin. The game we're covering today is, hand on heart, one of my favourite games of all time. It's definitely in my top five and it even had a chief role in my A-level grades, which you'll hear more about later. It's the effing masterpiece that is Shadow of the Colossus. Can I get an aggro up in here? Aggro! This third-person action-adventure casts you as a young warrior named Wanda, who travels to a forbidden land seeking a way to bring a girl named Mono back from the dead. And if he wants to achieve this, he's going to need to slay 16 gargantuan creatures known as Colossi who inhabit the land. That is commitment. I imagine he was probably hoping for a potion or something, so that's probably knocked him for six. The game was originally released in 2005 or 2006, depending on where you live exclusively for PS2, and developed by Japan Studio and the aptly named Team Eco, who, surprise surprise, worked on the equally breathtaking platform puzzler Eco. But that's another story for another day. The game has been praised for its killer soundtrack, immersive gameplay, and engrossing journey, and is now rightly heralded as one of the best and most influential games in the industry. In 2011, a remastered version of the game was packaged with Eco for the PS3, and in 2018, Bluepoint Games, who, if you're following gaming news, you'll know a lot about because they recently did the Demon Souls remake for PS5, remade Shadow of the Colossus on PS4, and my god, it was the best rendering of flowy, fluffy, beastie fur I have ever seen in a game. My friendly neighbourhood guest this week is video game freelance writer, podcast host, producer, and dungeon master, Ollie Bateman. He and I, along with our mates Jamie Powis and Adam Wilborn, have just launched a brand new performative D&D podcast. It's called Dice With Death. It released at the start of Feb in all the usual places, and honestly, what started as a bit of a laugh in lockdown has turned out so funny and moving, and has such a brilliant story and world that if you're a sci-fi or a fantasy lover, I think you'll really like it. Also, I play an alcoholic half-elf with a prosthetic limb, just in case you need any more convincing. As Ollie is our host and dungeon master, it's actually a bit weird for me and him to be recording together without him trying to kill me or make me do saving throws, as you're about to hear in the opening. Right, enough of my chops in, let's get stuck in to Shadow of the Colossus. Welcome, Ollie, Ollie, Ollie. Amy, roll me a wisdom saving throw, please. <laughs> no. Roll me a wisdom saving throw. <laughs> I outright refuse. <laughs> no. Like you, you take your dice, and there is the door, sir. It is a genuine pleasure to be here chatting games with you, especially about one which is so influential on so much of the media and games that I consume to this day. So thank you for having me. You are very welcome, my dear. I have been obsessed with this title for the last maybe, I mean, it came out in like 2005, 2006. So it would have been, yeah, 15 years. I'm going to sort of exemplify my feelings for Shadow of the Colossus with a statement. This game genuinely influenced my education. Uh, it's partly the reason that I got an A in English language for my A-levels. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, it's not. It genuinely, genuinely is. So I'm about to send you, uh, I'm going to WhatsApp this to you right now. Okay. This is an article that I wrote about Shadow of the Colossus when I was, I'd say, 17, 18? What you're seeing now is my legit coursework. I've always kept it. Um, what I find quite interesting about this uh, article that I've written is that I've included that IGN red font. So clearly, 17-year-old <laughs> me always knew where she was going to end up. Oh, it's meant to be. It's so meant to be. My teacher, bless her, I remember she was reading it and she was just like, every other girl in the class had done like a gossip column uh, or they'd done like something fashion focused for Grazia and I was just like let me tell you about how there's a sword and it directs the light I think that's the reason I got an A I think she was just like here you go I don't really know I don't really care about how many of them there are or how he's got to revive his dead lover or whatever just go just have an A have an A looks nice you've used you've used paragraphs you've used punctuation have an A one of the first questions that I want to ask you is there anyone you would happily trudge to a forbidden land for and slay 16 giant monsters? Not if I knew I was going to suffer the same fate as Wonder. I don't want to break into spoiler territory yet because I haven't pushed the button. But can you imagine putting so much effort into something and it going so south? You know, trudging to a forbidden land to slay 16 giant monsters. That sounds like the best D&D campaign ever. The creator, uh, Fumito Ueda, actually intended there to be 48. 48 big bads. I don't know about you, Amy, but I have barely any time to play video games anymore. So that is not something that I would undertake. 16? 16 is perfect. That is fine. I can I can hack 16 big colossi. It's interesting that you say big bad as well, because any of these boss fights would arguably easily be a final boss in any other game. Like they are each worthy of like final boss territory. When did you first encounter Shadow of the Colossus? I saw it advertised in a local video game shop we had in my hometown in Devon. And I walked into the shop and there was this eight foot tall cardboard colossus. It was next to an arcade machine of Golden Axe and all the official PlayStation magazines and I was just captivated. I was like, what is this? I, I have to know everything about it. And luckily, right next to it was an official PlayStation magazine that came with a demo of Shadow. And I tell you, Amy, it was the only thing I played. That demo was the only thing I played for four or five months over that Christmas of 2005. I played the exact same demo my dude I remember it it's so good I, I like I played it over and over again March 2006 comes around and at this time I'm like 15 years old and I'm working as a fryer in a chip shop you know just to get some money to do what teenagers do mm. and drink cider on benches <laughs> and I'd saved up all my money to buy this game and it was the first game that I'd ever bought for myself with my own money this was my hard-earned cash so I had to save up for the right game because back then buying a game you weren't fully aware of everything about the game going into it. You could pay 60 quid for an absolute dud. I did not make the mistake by getting Shadow. I skipped the PS3 version. I played the hell out of the PS4 version, like mainly for nostalgic value, but also on the realization of my own maturity to work towards how games looked. Like before playing Shadow, I was playing, I don't know, Dragon Quest VII, Gex, Enter the Gecko, Banjo-Kazooie. Hey man, Banjo-Kazooie is deep, okay? Like, is. I still think the phrase, behind every man is a great woman, applies directly to Banjo and Kazooie. <laughs> I mean, what a queen. <laughs> 
but you're right like you know your kind of you know your your youth is all about games that are basically e-numbers right you know they're very colorful they're very bright they're often quite shallow and they they sort of burn quite brightly but then fade away whereas shadow is definitely something uh i think you're right about it being a coming of age game it totally stays with you i mean it's got an entirely fictional language like that is something that at the fantasy nerd in me is so impressed by something like that. Something that feels so delightfully tangible. Like there's very few games that I've ever encountered that have actually got the dedication of building a fully fledged language that is entirely fictitious. I think maybe Final Fantasy X with the Albed language, that's something that Ooh, I would compare yes, it to. Yeah. But even so, like it's beautiful. It's almost like sounds a little bit Japanese or kind of East Asian, but not quite. I mean, something that stands out for me as well is just like uh, the world itself. So um, the fact that, you know, you've got a very minimal HUD you know, the game itself, the screen isn't cluttered by anything unnecessary. You've got this huge world that's kind of devoid of really any enemies or any NPCs. It's a stretch of massive, beautiful expanse with hardly anything in it. This vast expanse that you end up being in, like, as a player, I felt an element of such seclusion. The feeling of, like, when you do get dialogue in here, especially from Wonder and Dormin, it, it really does have that ancient Japanese feeling to it, which in a forbidden land, in a, in a land where you are so lonely, just elevates the, the feeling of loneliness, I feel. Just, you know, being in a different world. And everybody's on the same page playing the game. Like, nobody speaks the language that is there. Um, so it really feels like a solo experience. I completely agree. Right, Ollie Bateman, would you like to press the spoiler alarm? Nah, I'm all right. Oh, okay. Well, I guess we'll end the podcast here. <laughs> See you later, everyone. Have a nice, have a nice day. Bye. No, I, I really thought I wanted to change the script up because everybody so far has wanted to push that spoiler alarm. But uh, Amy, why don't you push the spoiler alarm for us this time? Oh, uh, I get too much of a kick out of pressing the spoiler alarm. <laughs> Do you know what? Actually, I thought by now I would have taken the spoiler alarm out of it. And I genuinely <laughs> tried to at one point. And then lots of people were like, no, it's great. Keep it in. And I was like, mate, I got I got drunk and wrote that because I listened to too much Adam Buxton and I love his little silly jingles. And I was like, I'm going to make me a silly jingle. I'd also just watch Hamilton. So I was like, I'm going to rap me a silly jingle. And then, uh, yeah, that monstrosity happened. So enjoy. <laughs> Yeah, boy! Sa spoiler alert! If you don't want plot details, get out of here, because we dish in the dirt. We are about a blurt, so if you ain't played it yet, spare your poor ears, and no one gets hurt. We know you'd be pissed if you're in the midst of a really great game, and we told you the twist, or told you who died, and how much we cried. We'd feel kind of bad for derailing your ride. We've been there before, and it is a shitter when some total n posts the ending on Twitter. So back away now, and you won't get scorned, because spoilers are coming, and you have been warned. So let's start at the beginning. Our boy Wanda travels to the Forbidden Land. 
He's on horseback, he's journeying into this strange world and bless him, it's really not easy. Like he gets he gets bitch slapped by an eagle in the first like two <laughs> seconds of the game. Then his horse has to do a death-defying jackass style parkour jobby. Ooh. Then it starts pissing it down. Like I would have given up, bailed way before I got to the temple. I'd have got to the bit where the horse is like, maybe I can make that jump and I'd have turned straight back. Yeah, I, I would have been like, uh, is there no public transport in the Forbidden Lands? Uh, are you 17 yet? Because I know you look like a, a young kid. Are you 17? Can you learn to drive yet? I'm sure whoever's back at your tribe will get you a nice little Fiat Ciento or something <laughs> for you to drive around rather than jumping over ravines in the middle of the Forbidden Lands. The other thing as well, right? Is it Mono, Mono? I'll just say Mono for now. How does Mono not fall off? She's not strapped in or anything. Where's the roof rack? Where's where's yeah. the maiden rack? <laughs> where's the maiden rack? <laughs> he hasn't installed a maiden rack. Like, that is so unsafe. Where has this lad been? And how has he just picked up this unconscious chick? Like, not something that I think kids should be doing. <laughs> I don't condone this. I, Ollie Bateman, do not condone taking an unconscious maiden on an adventure without her consent. So the relationship between Wanda and Mono, he's obviously taking this girl uh, into the Forbidden Land. She's dead. It's never directly stated what their relationship is. I kind of assumed when I was younger that that was his uh, lover, his partner. But it also has been suggested that it could be his sister. He has taken her all this way through this arduous journey of of death-defying horse stunts to try and work out whether or not he can save her and bring her soul back. You do get the immediate sense that, oh yeah, it's boy and girl, they're lovers. Playing the game now, or you know, in the last two years when the PS4 version came out, there's such a realisation of, oh, this actually might just be someone saving someone else from an unjust cause. Wanda proclaims to Dorman, doesn't he, and says, she was sacrificed for she had a cursed fate. And the important bit is the sacrifice there. I think that Lord Emon, who we will uh, see later in the game, sacrificed her because he saw a vision of a dark queen coming to be. And I'm pretty sure that that queen, who might be the queen in Ico, when we talk about that later. I was thinking about Ico. Yep. Is Mono. So, yeah, mm. I think that the shaman, Lord Emon, had his time to sacrifice this girl. And I think Wonder is the knight in, the knight in shining armor who came in and uh, took her away. With regards to the cursed fate, I also thought about. Uh, Ico, Ico, whatever you want to say, because I figured that, you know, the horned boy is seen, uh, the main character of Ico. We won't spoil it uh, now, because obviously this this ain't about Ico. Um, but we will say that, you know, at the very beginning of that game, uh, the, the main protagonist has been uh, locked away in a fortress. He's been um, locked away in like a coffin because they believe that he is cursed. He is a some kind of bad omen because he's got horns, um, which again will play into the end of Shadow. And I think maybe my brain immediately thought this is obviously a very ancient superstitious time. It's really interesting. I love what you say about how he might not even necessarily know her. He might just be trying to undo this injustice in some way because he never even really says to Dorman like she's my my partner or like she's my sister or all he says is 
she was sacrificed because she has a cursed fate. Basically, if he goes out and slays all 16 of these giant beasties, the price that he might pay for doing so will be heavy, but he will have the possibility of reclaiming Mono's soul. So I was kind of like, oh, okay, well, the price I pay probably won't be as heavy <laughs> as it ends up being. I was so naive. I was like, he'll probably have a bad back, you know, because he's done a lot of climbing. That was literally my thought. I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll have some scuffs. You do new. So we head off, we've got the ancient sword in our grasp. I love how the sword mechanic works in this game. There is just nothing like it. I love it when there's no waypoints. I think recently a game that's done that super, super well is Ghost of Tsushima, which obviously has the guiding wind. Oh, so good. So cool. Anything that really just like takes you away from the fact you're in a video game, to me is Mwah. Yeah, chef's kiss. That's the immersion, isn't it, that you're looking for, especially in a game like Shadow. Like this sword, this ancient sword, which we don't know anything about, is such a well-designed uh, waypoint system. And, you know, shine it up. The light's there. And I, I also love the fact that the sword doesn't work indoors. There is actually one sword you can get from the time attack mode, I think. Uh, it's like an unlockable that actually works in shadow. But you're right. Like the fact that you'll go to like a really dark corner of the map and you're just like, where am I going? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> it's kind of like realizing that your phone's run out of battery. You're just like, oh, OK, um, cool. Can't use that here. Well, new sword, who dis? <laughs> So let's talk about bringing down our first Colossi, which is the lovely Valus. So they are unofficial names. Every single Colossus in this game has a fan name, which, I mean, it wasn't really until I deep dove into it that I was like, wow, okay, people have... Because how does that even happen? How do people develop fan names? Like, who decides that's the one that we're all just going to use? Like, that's canon. It's really interesting. When you first see it... My God, like the trees bending over as it walks, the thumping of its feet. It is just the most majestic looking thing. I will never until I die stop going on about the fur physics <laughs> in this game. Like the fluff and the sway of each strand and the way that you feel like you're grabbing clumps full when you're kind of climbing up it. The emotion of seeing that first creature and then realising, being like, shit, i got to kill this thing. The fur sticks out a lot, but it, it is just, it's that first bit of platforming that you do and you think, oh, this is insignificant. It's just a bit of platforming. Let's get to the top of this. And as soon as you step up onto that cliff and you hear that... And just this cinematic pan of like, not even the full monster, like it's shoulder and arm and torso. And you go, oh shit. First thing I did was not run towards it. It was run away. Did a little bit of we come out? Uh, I want to say no, but a lot did. <laughs> it's so cinematically scary to come up against Valus, first of all, because you think, wow, he's big. He is weirdly endearing to look at like he's not a monster in the conventional sense of like claws and teeth the fur physics on him 
do make him look almost weirdly cuddly. And he's kind of got this very, you know, sort of wide-eyed expression. They all have those gorgeous, like, blue, white eyes that then become amber when they see you. And you've got to start scaling him. You can then use the sword mechanic again to kind of find out his weak spots. Uh, Each of them kind of glow with this really awesome, like, neon blue gif. Sorry. <laughs> not a gif. Not a, they don't play a gif. Glyph. What's that meme on that uh, Colossus's hand? <laughs> <laughs> There's a blinking white man just like on the guy back of that guy's leg. I think for me, it was the intense emotion of, because obviously you keep stabbing him and stabbing him in these various weak spots and you are constantly, your finger is just hovering over R1 the entire time. Like you are not going to let go. I've never had more of a trigger finger in any game than I've had in Shadow because you're just like, oh my God, if this thing sneezes, I am like going to go out of the universe. Like I'm just going to get flung. The music in this game is to die for. I have the soundtrack on my old school iPod shuffle, baby. Oh, back in the day, the shuffle. Very nice. Honestly, I used to love it. It was like the opened way is, in my opinion, one of the finest pieces of game music. Like it is just absolutely stunning. And the open way, funnily enough, doesn't play in this particular fight. It plays, I think, with Colossus 3 and maybe a few others. But you um, you just get this feeling of like the music's intense. Everything's like really kind of building to a big crescendo. And then you stab him. The black stuff, this gushing black blood is flowing out of this colossus. And that final blow, you just hear the pierce of the sword. And the music stops and everything stops. At that moment when the choral bit happens, as it's going down and it's like... Nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. No no need for another take on that, guys. We're good. She nailed it the first time. Well done. The choral voices and the violins and all of that stuff. Like, I'm going to butcher this composer's name, and I'm so sorry if I get this wrong, but Ko Atani, uh, yes. his orchestral yes. compositions are both in major and minor keys throughout the whole piece. Oh. Like anyone who knows about music knows that it's major keys are generally happy sounding and sig- and signify life mm. and love and hope. And whereas music in minor key is like, it's the opposite. It's sadness, it's loss, it's death, it's uncertainty. And in shadow, we get both major and minor keys throughout all the compositions. So their keys change all the time. So the music that plays like into the player's feelings about the uncertainty of the task that you're undertaking, mm. like, should I be killing these giant things? Mm. They don't seem like they were causing any trouble before I turned up. But mm. the music itself does a great job of emphasizing your own confusion to what's playing out in front of you. Like when you run towards Valus, if you're quick, he doesn't have time to turn around to see you and you just climb up this thing and kill it. Whereas if you leave it a little bit, he will then see you and start to attack. So I do think people have varying uh, experiences with the first Colossus. When I killed him and I jumped off and this these tendrils just... <laughs> I don't know, entered every orifice in my body and I just collapsed on the floor. I thought I'd failed the game. Like I really (laughs) thought it was like a game over screen and I was like, oh no, have I got to do all of that again? But then Mm. you end up in the temple and you hear this lovely church organ as this idol smashes and shatters and I go, 
oh, I am doing the right thing. Exactly. And it's so, what you say about the major and the minor, you're more of a music man than me. Uh, you're more of a man than me, come to think of it. Yeah, that's true. Actually, I don't know if that's 100% true. I... <laughs> I only have one testicle, so how many do you have? <laughs> three? Uh... Oh, you're three times the man I am, Ollie. It's so interesting about the major and minor thing because you're absolutely right. That whole, the psychology of like the major and minor working together like that, it is the epitome of mixed emotions. And boy, is this game like mixed emotion mm. on a stick. The whole thing with uh, Valus not really attacking if you kind of sneak up behind him, I don't think he attacked me and I felt this intense regret. Like, the second this thing started falling down, this beautiful, majestic creature, I was just like, oh my god, I killed that. And it didn't even attack me. Like, obviously he could do if you were in front of him, but it's the fact that you hunted it. Like, you went for it. It wasn't doing anything. It wasn't harming anyone. You actively killed something that, like, didn't have anything against you. And... I don't always feel this way about boss battles, believe me. But this was one of those things, like, I mean, Dark Souls, holy shit. I am normally, like, teabagging that bitch as fast as I can. But the fact that he doesn't even really pose a threat to you, I immediately, I wrote this in my A-level coursework, immediately after killing it, I just felt so guilty, Ollie. I felt so guilty. And then you're right, you get the celebration and the weird mixed feeling of like, ooh, should I have killed that thing? Was that actually a good good thing to do? And then all of a sudden, you're enveloped in this black stuff and you're back in the temple and the idol shatters and you're like, oh, okay, so I did the right thing? Question mark? <laughs> like seeing the first bit of... Um, animal life or you know enchanted animal life and the first thing we do is kill it obviously that's part of the game mechanic and it's like well of course you've got to do that to move the story forward but you as a player feel like have I done the right thing here have I have I have I cocked up already I can't have cocked up already but you end up back in that temple and talking to Dormin again one down 15 to go baby So let's talk about the kind of the bulk of the game. We'll kind of go up to about the 12th Colossus because we know that's when a big development in the story is revealed. So the world is absolutely awesome. Like I can never get enough of it. It's strange because for a PS2 game as it was when it was first released, it has an insane amount of depth. Like they reckon there are still parts of that game that unless you've like debugged the hell out of it, you're probably never gonna step foot on. There's just so much that was like secretive and hidden away. It was a realistic expanse that felt 
lived in despite nobody really being there. I mean, it had such a weird history that you didn't really know anything about. And I mean, maybe it's the depth. Maybe it's because you feel so small. I mean, not only because of the colossi that are roaming it, but also when you charge down a valley with aggro, the camera pulls out and you get this like awesomely cinematic viewpoint that just makes you feel so much smaller anyway. And I just felt like the world was swallowing me the whole time I was exploring it. And that really pulled me in as a player. I'm so happy you mentioned like that cinematic camera angle when you're sat on aggro. It's it's so well framed. And people who know about photography and film will know about the rule of thirds. And it's just, it's so satisfying that it fits those kind of photography and film production kind of values. Like you can really feel that... Um, the Japanese studio was like, this needs to be cinematic as hell. Yeah, 100%. And charging across a sunlit valley on the back of that horse feels so good. The Colossi community has a love-hate relationship with Agro. <laughs> um, I think most players, anyone who's really played the game, has a love-hate relationship with Agro. He handles... He doesn't handle like the smoothest ride in the world. Um, also, actually, I should stop referring to him as a he because interestingly enough, he is referred to as male in the English language version of the game. But the director, Fumito Ueda, said that he saw Wanda's horse as actually female. Mm, and, that, and that's something brand new that you brought to the table that I had absolutely no idea about. Me neither. Me neither. Did you love her or did you hate her? What was your relationship like with Agro? Because you spend so much of the damn game with this horse. Oh, I love Agro. I love Agro so much. <laughs> I do too, even though the amount of times I've gone round a really narrow cliff bend and I've been like, Agro, will you turn around? Oh, God. <laughs> PS2 controls, which, by the way, props to uh, Bluepoint in the remake's PS4 version for including PS2 control scheme in that game. It felt like like actually steering a horse. Can anybody say that they can actually do that with 100% grace? Like, no, I get that it's a game and that you want to, you know, have all the mechanics and the controls work for you, but it it felt so much more real with Agro just, you know, nearly chucking you off a cliff. Thank you for those invisible walls, uh, developers, because <laughs> the amount of times that I was, like, riding, then all of a sudden my gal was just like, and I was like, oh, sorry, that's a cliff. Uh, I think Agro is, like, clearly a war veteran of sorts, like, who is impenetrable to any sense of danger. Like, a huge colossus can yeet you off its back, like, halfway across the map and, like, take off your health and your stamina, and then Agro just appears right next to you and stays so <laughs> calm throughout like every insurance that you take it's like you just go ah oh no so much health has gone and oh a horse okay and then straight back on and back to slaying <laughs> it's so funny you say that as well because obviously what uh wanda's reactions are totally panicked and aggro is just like super chill a lot of the time and i feel like she is just like i'm so over it like i can't believe yeah. you brought me here i can't believe you want me to save this bin i don't even know her uh wanda his reactions i know we often like laugh at how he says aggro because it's just so iconic like you think of shadow of the glasses you think of aggro 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 <laughs> I love I love the calls that Wanda makes to Agro. Like I they're all it. varying depending on the situation. Like if she's a few meters away, it's short, sharp, like Agro, and you know it's like calling a dog. And then during combat, like the loud screams of Wanda calling, like Agro. It's so <laughs> so cinematic. It's brilliant. 
it's a really subtle thing, but like, what a great understanding of the levels of urgency needed within those situations as game design. I absolutely, honestly, I think you perfectly sum that up. Like, I just, that's one of the things that gets me every time I play it is that he goes from aggro to like uh, the bit when Phalanx just like bursts out the sand and he's like, aggro! And aggro's like, no girl, you've got this, I'm off. (laughs) (laughs) Aggro! In terms of the colossi that you actually encounter, there is so much variety. Each of the colossi are in like a certain uh, environment and it's kind of like in the order of which you defeat them that you go and find them. What was your favorite colossi in the game? Oh, that's a really, really good question. I think my favorite is it's Avion. The first bird colossi in the game, you crawl up this cliff and you you enter into this like cliffed reservoir and there's this little break in a cage that you drop through into the water and you swim towards this platform, get on up and you look at this thing that has just swooped on over and landed on this pillar and you think, all right, I'll just shoot an arrow at it and see what happens. And as soon as that arrow flies, Avion just turns like eyes go amber and he swoops down and it took me a very, very, very long time to realise that you could jump and grab onto his wings. So I was definitely the guy who was getting taken out in the water by Avian for so long. But as soon as I just went, let's jump and grab and see what happens. And you get up in the air and you clamber up this bird's back and it's like barrel rolling and diving and ducking. Like, that was that was when Shadow became one of my favourite games of all time. Avion like hands down my favorite one it like it affected me the most because it it took it took wonder's journey literally from the land into the sky and then you thought oh my god the possibilities are endless with how many big bosses are still to go so yeah amazing soaring on its wings like it kind of like inverts itself to the point where you are literally hanging on the bottom of its wing as it's flying and yeah that absolutely blew my tiny mind my favorite though uh is barber you mean you mean santa claus hipster colossus that's who you mean barber he's got a great big bushy beard oh mate it's so funny like seeing all these fan names because i've got my own nicknames for them like i remember like number four was giraffe boy um (laughs) one of them is called salamander lad and then barber was bushy mcbeardy what did you find most challenging because i reckon we've got the same one it's got to be bassaran like that crab tortoise boy screw bassaran because he shoots firebolts from his from his stupid little mouth and like they hit you while you're on uh, on aggro but you have to like mm. coax him over this geyser you know flip him over on his stupid tortoise back and it takes it takes bloody forever and i'm just like oh come on bassaran like help me out here but i also think that argus the 15th colossus i think he is genuinely the most challenging where do i run i'm in this corridor of like this ancient tomb and then you go um oh I have to let him try and hit me to get this platform down and then I have to sneak hide while he destroys these columns to, you know, all, all the platforming elements. So I, I think that part of Argus is brilliant, but it's just working that stuff out is so frustrating. And of course, my nickname for Argus is Gorilla Troll Boy. <laughs> 
mainly because of the way he just climbs up the side of the cliff and puts his hands over and then yeah he's he's i think he's the only one that's got like really dark fur but gorilla troll boy has a has a place in my heart for the most challenging i think argus uh for me as well is he's a mover and a shaker and what i mean by that is when you're on the back of him boy it's a rodeo (laughs) both he and barber for me were the two that just would not stop like they're in a glam rock band, just like throwing their head backwards and forwards while Paul Wonder is just holding on for dear life. He is, he's, he's, he's writing his will on the back of this Colossus. Obviously, Bassaran is one that we both hated or both, you know, found challenging, but the sheer variety in every battle, I found that so incredible that they managed to do that. There weren't that many, besides maybe like, you know, the, the kind of smaller ones. What is it, like Zenobia and. I can't remember the other one's name, but there's kind of one that looks a bit like a a lion or like a boar. Like they're kind of similar, but the way you fight them is totally different. So it still keeps it really fresh. One of the ones that really stuck out to me, and I remember it very well because of my (laughs) mum, was um, the one in the water. Oh, are you talking, are you talking Hydrus? Hydrus. Colossus number seven, Hydrus. My God, that was that's one that will always stay in my memory because you're on like a, a ledge mm. and you're looking at it in the water below you. My mum came up to give me my tea. I must have only been like, I mean, how old was I in 2005? Probably like 12. So I would have uh, been waiting for dinner. She kind of brought it up to me and she was like, oh, how's your game going? Kind of thing. And she was sort of like transfixed on this game that I was playing, which was obviously Shadow. And I remember her... Uh, sort of craning her neck at one point. Like, I thought she was sort of like wobbling weirdly. I was kind of like, mommy, you're right. Like, you're leaning weirdly. And obviously when a parent hovers in your room for more than like the time it takes to give you your dinner, you're like, mum. What are you doing? Go away, mum. Mum, you've delivered the turkey dinosaurs. Your purpose has been served. No, mum, you know I love you. Um, But she was like sort of staring at it. And I realised that she was craning her neck in that way to try and look over the side of the water to see the colossus. And it was that moment where I was like, my God, this is such an immersive thing <laughs> and so interactive that my mum is actively trying to look over. When has a game captivated your mother? Let us know in the comments. <laughs> yes, please, please like, get in touch. What game does your mum love? But she, I remember her, she was just like, what the hell is that thing? And I was like, I don't know, but I got to kill it. Hydrus is, Hydrus is again for me, it's like Avion takes it to a new level and so does Hydrus because of the underwater, like combat that you end up going through the one that has in my opinion the award for the most impressive entrance is phalanx i just think he is the weirdest looking thing i don't i'm, I'm not a fan of his exacts ollie i probably wouldn't want to look at them for prolonged periods of time but the they're fact hypnotic that to, aren't they they're very hypnotic they're weirdly like... hypnotic those bulbous exacts that he's got underneath him and the fact that you have to i mean i found both um both Bassaran and phalanx and also dirge as well colossus number 10 i found those three challenging but also exhilarating because it's difficult it turns out who'd have thunk to stand on a horse and shoot arrows while the horse is galloping around Mm. like gets one over on your dexterity right there but at the same time that's fucking awesome like that feels so (laughs) cool you feel like a true fantasy legolas style hero when you're on the back of aggro standing up shooting at this thing in the air or shooting at dirge who's like you know pile driving the sand behind you anything that involved uh, having to career around on aggro was 
ultimately quite frustrating because of the way that the horse handled, but it was coupled with the fact that it just felt so good. You on the back of your horse with your arrow, you with your bow drawn, just waiting to shoot down a really squidgy exac on the back of a sky snake. <laughs> it's a sky snake. It's interesting that you call it a sky snake because I've I've always seen phalanx as like the gigantic dragonfly. Like that's oh, the kind yeah. of an- animal uh, imagery that I get. I like I I like in Shadow of the Colossus to like um, it's the embodiment of like uh, buckaroo. <laughs> like, <laughs> The Colossi are the buckaroo and you're a barrel like on a saddlebag hoping yep. to not get yeeted across the forbidden lands. You're trying to hang a plastic handbag off the back of that thing and it's not having any no, of it. No, and Phalanx <laughs> is the worst for that because of the barrel rolling. But yeah. yeah, that entrance, the diving into the sand. There's always something for your brain to have to suss out. It's never as simple as just walk up to it and stab it. You know what I mean? Yeah, this is the expansion of difficulty that Shadow of the Colossus does so well. One of the Colossus that I will mention is, uh, I know that the two smaller ones uh, tend to go under the radar a little bit, but Zenobia, I thought, was the better of the two, simply because it's the tiger-like one, and it's the one that you have to fight uh, in a kind of like parkour, uh, total wipeout style, where you're running along these like columns, and it's knocking the columns down, and you're jumping between rooftops, and you're basically trying to trick it into like weakening itself. I, I liken Zenobia to like your debut on Ninja Warrior, but they've let a starving circus lion run the course with you. Like that's what it feels like every time he's running into that and you're jumping from platform to platform. And I think his um, his demise at the end of like when he runs into that final pillar and it knocks this platform down and like takes his armor, like destroys the armor off his back. It's so brilliant to then just go you know, launch from another platform directly onto his back and start stabbing away. extensively about the colossi that are in the game um but obviously you know there was originally going to be 48 so i was just interested ollie have you looked at some of the designs of the ones that were scrapped basically for want of a better word do you know what for um for preserving what is one of my favorite games of all time i have never looked up any of what the other colossus Ah. designs would be purely for the for the fact that i want to keep the game as it is for myself i get you i get you i I genuinely think they probably maybe apart from phaedra because it's just a rubbish stone horse that you play hide and seek with but giraffe boy i I (laughs) yeah giraffe boy i genuinely think out of the 48 that they whittled it down to the 16 they picked the best ones because 48 
like 48 yeah. colossi, yeah. you are going to have some redos and you're going to have like, yeah. oh, here's another sand one. Here's another parkour yeah. one. Here's like... I have actually taken a little peek. I couldn't resist at the... Uh, oh, so you have looked. You have actually seen... Yeah, I did actually look at the unused uh, colossi. Like it's on the Team, team Ico fandom. And Ooh. I'll be honest, I think of all the ones that are kind of like leftovers, you know, like the ones that didn't quite make the cut... I do think the strongest ones made it into the final game. And I think okay. I'm very glad of that. The only one that like is a slight shoulda, woulda, coulda that I'm like, oh, you know what? I'd like to have that. Maybe a little bit of DLC. Who knows? Um, there's one that they have nicknamed uh, the Phoenix. And it's essentially a big, fiery, dragony kind of bird. And it's on fire. And the mechanic <laughs> to beat it is that you have to, Wanda has to basically coax it into the water to put itself out so he can climb on it and i must oh, admit see, that's super cool I when i was reading already. that bit i was like that's sick so when we were out and about obviously killing colossi and sort of exploring the landscape did you encounter any of like the fruit and the hidden animals that are up there because i actually didn't do any of that i saw like there's doves and there's hawks and that but i didn't know you could actually be riding aggro and then just jump and grab onto an eagle <laughs> i had no idea that was a thing it does how take, did i miss it, that again it does take the game to a whole new level but like it's a little bit absurd for the tone of the game <laughs> <laughs> the fruit the fruit and the lizards in the ps2 version i never touched i didn't even notice like the ps2 graphics and the crt tv saw them polygons in it you didn't even see them like i had i had <laughs> I had no idea that they were a thing. Like, graphics were not that good for me to go, oh, I should do something with that lizard. The Hawks, like, I had, I was playing the PS2 version, OG, back in the day, and I was like, oh, it'd be so sick if I could jump off my horse and just grab that. And I, I, I just the, just the, like, the excitement that ran through my body when I jumped off aggro and went, oh my God, this works. This, ha this actually works. What? <laughs> It's nuts, isn't it? You're just like, oh my God, I'm holding on to a dove. And then you, you trip over a tortoise. It's like there's these really funny <laughs> self-aware moments they've put in the game just to remind you that, you know, it is a game. Turns up to the forbidden lands on a horse that's too big for you. I'm going to ride a horse. <laughs> Screw you, aggro. Hawk. 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 Hasn't got the same ring to it, has it? <laughs> so we've traversed this uh, forbidden land. We've killed a fair few colossi. And during this time... Our boy Wanda, he ain't looking so hot. So you start out, you know, you're kind of very youthful. You've got like sort of reddishy brown hair. You know, you've got this like cute little, uh, uh, what's it called? Blanket with a hole in it. Can't be sad in it. A poncho. As the game progresses, you're slaying each of these colossi. And every single time you take a colossus down, you are transported back to the temple. And before doing so all of this black tendrily substance engulfs you and every single time that happens it's not great like Wanda always sort of falls over face plants the floor and you're a bit like eesh that doesn't look so good but you don't really question it until you get kind of further into the game and you start to see a physical deterioration of Wanda he gets more pallid he gets paler his eyes and his skin start to look a little bit sunken mm. his hair gets darker mm. his clothes look dirtier and more ragged and he just generally doesn't look like he's feeling himself 
And I I have to say, uh, in the PS4 reboot, obviously the remake, you can see it in a lot more detail. But even in the original, I remember thinking he just looked more haggard like every single one of these creatures obviously it would take a toll on you physically but something about these creatures is draining him like in a weird way he seems more empowered he seems more determined but he seems less human and obviously that ties into where we'll get to the heartbreaking ending in in just a bit but did you notice that as you were playing did you kind of think to yourself like obviously you, your brain does go to the place of well, what are these tendrils why are they engulfing me what's going into my body <laughs> that's a question i ask myself every day amy what's in my orifices in the ps2 version i have to be very honest with you and everybody listening because the because the graphics were so bad and I played it on a CRT TV that, that was HD ready but was not HD, um, I did not notice that Wonder's skin was turning blue and that he might eventually grow horns um i didn't i didn't notice any of that stuff until the ps4 version yeah it's way less visible in the older version yeah, yeah just the 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 graphical update of that from blue point is uh brilliant because it it makes it, it kind of turns um shadow of the colossus more into an uh, like a western anime looking kind of style for me in terms of like the character remodels and stuff yeah seeing that stuff in the ps4 version especially at the end after colossus 16 when he is the bluest and i'm gonna say it nobody's gonna like it veiniest he's ever been <laughs> he's so veiny isn't he so oh, veiny so vascular bro you also keep hearing mono's voice during those flashes of light as you regain your consciousness back in the temple oh it's so haunting it's so haunting because sometimes you hear a voice and sometimes you don't and you just get little faint echoes and you just think you you really listen so intently don't you because you go even though it's a language you cannot understand you hear you do hear mono sometimes say wonder and you go oh, she's saying something what is she saying i've got to put the subtitles on i've got to find a video that like tells me what she says i almost see those little moments of like the pillars of light of being like every scrap of soul is slowly being transferred back to mono so it's the idea of like she is getting her consciousness back and it starts with just a few short breaths and it ends with like her basically murmuring half sentences and saying wanda's name and you know her consciousness is getting closer after the eighth colossi goes down he actually has a vision of her waking up and then it kind of zooms out like he's really far away from her it's in this like grainy like as if it's got part like baking parchment paper over it and it's like you know old film reel and stuff as as if it's looking into some kind of like subconscious thing watching that now i feel like we're looking from the point of view of mono as if she's watching her own body come back to life. I I don't think in that instance that is what Wonder sees. I think that is Mono's outer body experience and going, hold on, what's going on here? The pillars of light as well, they appear every time a Colossus dies. So it actually marks the spot on the land where one was felled. So it seems like there's a bit of a weird connection there with the idea of like, the, the light, you know, the soul goes towards the light when it dies and wander, obviously, travelling back to the temple. One thing I was going to say, right, this is just something that crossed my mind when I was, like, playing a bit of it earlier. Wanda always seems to get this, like, weirdly 
interdimensional void Uber back to the temple, right? <laughs> How the hell does Agra get back? Does she have to walk back every single time? I, I... <laughs> that horse must be done. <laughs> After about the fourth, you'd be like, now nah, fuck this. <laughs> no, I, I, ju- I do think they make Agro walk back. Um, because I also think a lot of time is passing while Wanda is out on that temple because of, and we'll get onto it when we talk about Lord Emon uh, and his men, but more time is, I think more time is passing than we actually think it is. As much as it's just, oh great, my horse is here, that's fine. Um, I think there's a deeper thing there of um, the travel aspect and the time period that is passing over in this weirdly magical land. After the death of the 12th Colossus, we finally get a glimpse of life outside this forbidden land. We see civilization, we see people, and it's Eamon and his men coming to the forbidden land. We don't know for what purpose. The thing that immediately catches your attention about that kind of game changing cutscene when you realize that, you know, you're not alone is that Eamon has the mask. Uh, the mask that is. Look, it looks a little bit like an owl, you know, something like a bird. That wooden mask that he's wearing is the same mask that you see at the beginning when Dorman is explaining your task to you. I didn't know whether they were coming for the same purpose, like maybe they were coming to cleanse the land of the Colossi, or maybe they were coming for the treasure or they were coming for whatever powers, you know, lurk in this in this temple. What did you make of like, suddenly there's people and they're on their way? Again, it's another cutscene within this game that knocks you for six. And I thought, I you know, when, when Lord Eamon and his men kind of stop at this little crevasse and look upon uh, the, the temple and they say, not far to go, there's nothing to read into that narratively about, are they good? Are they bad? that's the mask. I'm sure that's the mask. I know that is the mask from the first cutscene. It's got to be. We continue to fight through the Colossi and eventually the 16th. We've made it. We've got all the way. It's 15 down and one to go. So you go and fight the final Colossi, which uh, is known by fans as Malice. Or if you're me, 12 years old, big boy with a skirt. (laughs) That's exactly what I've got written down. <laughs> or kilt. I mean, I'll let him have kilt. But either way, it looks like a skirt, man. I'm just saying. Good for him. Good for him. You know, if you make one wrong move on that castle skirt, you are done for. Yes. And you tumble all the way back down again. Oh, God. All the way back down to his feet and you have to ascend again. And it is the most annoying uh, Colossus for me because of that because of so much platforming like you experience the platforming with Argus and a few of the others and they're like you know they're not directly on the uh, on the Colossi uh, on the Colossus so it, it's just it's so much harder and the firebolts can kill you in one shot if your health bar is not up I actually think that this Colossus is malice is so human like that you just it's the start of the themes within the game being about 
a reflection of man and what we're capable of as a species. Like, we kill animals indiscriminately for like our own gain now we're turning to men now we are turning against ourselves and are we the monsters will we do anything in our power to get what we want no matter the consequences i think it's a real it's a mirror absolutely yeah and i mean i think uh, malice he is very humanoid and i think he also he is a bit more humanized as a colossus because the way that you defeat him, the way that you bring him down is all about his rather human responses. So uh, Dorman even says, like, you know how you get Dorman's little hints that pop up at the bottom. Basically, what happens is you're struggling for a bit. You can't figure out how to kill your colossi. And then you get this. <laughs> and you're like, oh, shit. Sorry, Dorman. I didn't realize I didn't see you there. What are you saying? And he's like, I sound like the Onion King from Overcooked when I do that. <laughs> Dormin basically uh, says to you, like, the way to kill it, uh, the journey of, of killing it is through its responses. And you stab uh, Malice in the hand and he kind of, like, puts his hand out, like, to check for damage. Like, he looks at his wound and that's how you, like, you know, get his attention. And then you can shoot him in the in the shoulder, don't you? And uh, when you do that, he goes, oh, and he, like, grabs his shoulder, weakening him. Like, it's very sort of David and Goliath-esque. And you're bringing this guy down and he's in a lot of pain and he really shows it malice whereas the others i mean they scream and they screech and they grab their heads and stuff but when malice when you land that final blow he puts his hands over his face and that to me is really interesting as well he sort of like grabs his face obscures his face and then just like flops his arms down there's a certain humanity to malice that i think you don't get with the others and then the final piece of the of the uh the colossus uh the essence the black tendril the final thing goes inside wonder but before that we actually did brush over something quite important that happens on the way to fight malice aglo oh don't this is when they ripped the rug out from underneath me this is when i was like oh, i don't want to play the game anymore <laughs> have you ever watched never ending story yes because like i got such a tree vibes and i was like oh. <laughs> you just think that's a big enough jump me and aggro can do that you you go for the jump the bridge just starts to collapse behind you and you go oh no oh no and then cutscene death like you start to feel for me like at that part a real sense of like selfishness coming from wonder like that's the part where he's going to do anything to bring back this girl no matter what it costs him heroes and villains are the same people because they always have goals like some of them are opposing and some of them line up but some of them are like the most justified cause in their head and that's what makes them a hero or that's what makes them a villain um wonder at this point in the game having lost aggro down a ravine uh knows knows what has to happen and what has to happen next you've come too far at that point there's no way you can turn back now that you can't reverse what's happened it it will all have been for naught wouldn't it if you didn't go and finish that final that final job With, with the memory of Agro having just fallen down this ravine uh, in your mind, you go off and obviously kill Malice. And then, yeah, you're brought back to the temple for the final time. And uh, Eamon's men are there. They've already beat you there. What I would say in that scene, 
I only watched it again today and I was like, oh, I didn't catch that the first time. What is Emin doing to Mono? Because he's like putting his hand over her and he looks like he's casting a spell. This is when I was like, oh, okay. When Mono eventually wakes up, was that Dormin's doing as part of his pact? Or was that Eamon who did something to her? He does He does murmur stuff and he does like do some kind of ritual over her. But go- going back to um, the kind of why I think that Mono was dead in the first place anyway... I think he's trying to finish the ritual to finish, to, to see her pass, to see her die. He looks like he's doing some kind of incantation. And then obviously Wanda turns up, materialised from having beaten the final Colossus and lays there on the floor. And then he sort of turns around and he's like, ah, it's you all along. He clearly knows Wanda. They're obviously all from the same place. He realises that Wanda is now cursed. I mean, this is the first time that we see Wanda with all 16 pieces of this essence, which is now obviously revealed to be Dormin itself. You know, Dormin was um, broken into 16 different pieces. Its soul was split up uh, in order to prevent it from uh, from wrecking havoc. And it's been sealed away all this time till a lovely little lovesick or family guy who wants to revive his, his sister or his partner or, or even just a heroic young lad who thinks, I will right the wrong that's been done to this girl, comes along with his ancient sword and Dorman's like, yes, I smell uh, someone who is going to do absolutely anything that I tell them. Wanda's been tricked by a demonic god. Like, he becomes the human sacrifice for Dorman to possess for his rebirth. Like, what a, what a bad bit of luck. Not only have you single-handedly cursed and doomed Wanda by killing all these things, he's now like this horned, zombie-looking, blue, veiny creature, but you've also brought back this, like, unholy evil in the form of Dormin. I'm just going to use you once you've destroyed all these living prisons and get all my essence back to become this all-powerful evil god um, who isn't all-powerful and evil for very long (laughs) I must say and you can imagine that he sat there the entire time (laughs) fantasizing about all the chaos he's gonna cause and he's got like a Pinterest board like oh this is gonna be the best evil doing ever oh my god this this second coming is gonna be amazing no when I replayed it I was like oh my god in my head I remember Dorman being like way more Godzilla-like and is kind of like havoc wrecking but actually like like, Lord Emmon is like, he does not stand for this. So he realises that obviously Wanda is now cursed and Dormin has taken Wanda's body and is using it uh, as a vessel. So he kind of goes, ah, oh, for crying out loud, cool guards, deal with him. Uh, and one of the guards attempts to stab him. He holds the sword really high up in the same way that Wanda has been stabbing all of these beasts and plunges it into him. Wanda starts emitting all this black um, spurting blood, which again is the same as the Colossi. We now know that is like the essence of Dormin. He uh, actually gets up and the guy is a bit freaked out by that and is kind of like, dude, I just stabbed you. Like, I think you might be dead. And lo and behold, Wanda shapeshifts into the full horned beastly form of Dormin that is in itself rather Colossus-like. He comes back, spends a couple of seconds like wreaking havoc in this one temple and then just locked away for good. <laughs> yeah, Lord Lord Emmon is having none of it. Like Dormin gets a few good smashes in, but they manage to escape, uh, Emmon and his guards, and they just like go up to the top of the temple. Emmon's like, ready my horse. And the next thing you know, he's casting this like portal-like spell that's going to suck Dormin 
back in and seal him up for good. So, you know, Eamon is doing like what a good cleric should do, I guess, in that regard, or a mage or whatever, like he's sealing the evil away. But this was probably, uh, you've had the heartbreaking reveal, you know, you know that Wanda has done everything he can to try and save Mono and in doing so has damned himself. So that's heartbreaking enough. But this was the bit that for me absolutely destroyed me. I think I cried as a kid. I was a very wimpy kid, so we'll let that (laughs) (laughs) make of that what you will. It's the fact that you are being dragged back into the void, back into that like portal that Emin has set up to encapsulate Dorman, to seal him away. And you have the illusion of control, something that I think I talked about way back in our first episode when me and Leo played a way out. Mm. The idea that you are given the illusion that you can do something as a player that's going to impact the fate of your protagonist. You control Wanda in that moment as he's being dragged back and you can push forward on the controller, you can jump, you can fight, actually fight against this suction, this power and make your way back up the temple where your, you know, lady love or sister or friend is lying there, the person that you really, really care about. You can see her, but you can never reach her. And I think, Ollie, I fought that scene for probably about, like, it actually was really sad, but it kind of gets me a bit emotional. Like, I swear, I was there for about 20 minutes and I kept <laughs> thinking to myself, the illusion of control, if I just keep jumping, if I just get to mono, I can change this outcome. Wanda will not die. Wanda will not get trapped. You can do nothing. It's so different to the rest of the game, though, isn't it? Because you are so in control of everything, in control of climbing these colossi and slaying them in ways that you haven't seen before. And like, to a certain extent, aggro and all that stuff and the steering that's bad. But like, you have so much control over what you do throughout the whole of the game for that just to be taken away. I don't think I even came to the realisation that... I couldn't do it. I just went, I'm just going to see what happens if I go backwards. I'm just going to see what happens if it just lets me go in this pool. Yeah. I still stand by it. I think that in video games is way more powerful than when they give you all the control. Like when they make you believe that you can do it and you get just enough control to have that illusion cemented in your brain. Like I really thought, oh, a few more jumps, I'll get there. And it must have been like, honestly, 15 minutes. And I was just like, I, I need to let him go. It was, oh my God, it was like letting go of Jack's hand in uh, <laughs> in Titanic. It was literally like, I just, I need to let, Wanda's going to have to die. He's going to have to get backwards. And lo and behold, he gets sucked in. And then, you know, what happens next? Mono opens her eyes. She lives. Whether it was Dorman, whether it was Emin, whatever happens, the end of the bargain has been upheld in some way. And she returns from the dead. She opens her eyes and she steps off the pedestal. And then what's this? Are they hooves? Yeah, that's when I cried. Agro just like turns the corner and you're like, whoa, she's a tough mare. Go, Agro. A horse with a lame leg comes up the stairs and I go, Agro. And I just start 
I just start spilling snot from my nose. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, aggro, you're here. It's too late, though. And then I go, oh, and aggro's never going to get to see Wonder again. Oh, so sad. And yeah, so Mono, you know, obviously she's there with aggro and they go and find this horned boy, which is obviously, you know, just a screaming baby with horns is somehow materialised in this uh, puddle, in this pool that obviously... Dormin's been sucked into. What a what a weird ending. What what, what a strange a ending. ending. Like I love the idea because that obviously is the connection to uh, Iko Iko, which we can talk about in a moment. Yes. But I also felt like I was trying to fathom in my head, like how has that happened? You know, like maybe it represents Wanda's innocence. You know, like he lost his innocence, and that's what Dormin has left behind when its presence is burned away. And maybe that symbol of the child, like the tabula rasa, you know, the blank slate, is very much his innocence or maybe in some way it reversed time you know maybe that's why mono's alive maybe time in that temple was actually pulled backwards which is why wanda is now a baby like it was just so weird how wanda's gone dormin's dead presumably or defeated and there is now just a strangely horned child i had not considered the reversing of time theory i had not considered that at all that is absolutely blown my mind i was like what for a for a second when you said it i was like no that guy but actually it makes perfect and total sense i'm i'm not sure if i'm a hundred convinced of it because I kind of want it what I think is that Mono was alive all along oh my god really do you think she was laying there like don't breathe oh my god I need to sneeze repress repress (laughs) (laughs) genuinely I think because of the theory that I think about when I think of uh, Lord Emon trying to uh, get rid of this dark demonic queen and wonder saving her I think she has just been in some kind of comatose state since the ritual started and because the ritual has not finished wonder took her out of that that she did not fully pass in that moment ah that's interesting yeah yeah we will cover Ico properly in another, in another episode uh, and the last guardian as well and i feel as though all of these games because they're so very similar in their style and their tone you know they are linked in various ways i mean not maybe directly by story for example the last guardian has an easter egg that's hidden in shadow of the colossus but with Ico and shadow there is more of like a direct association there the horned boy at the end um it's just too convenient it's too much of a coincidence that the protagonist of Ico is a horned boy um so I don't know if that is the same child that grows up to be Ico uh a lot of people speculate that Shadow of the Colossus is in fact that predecessor like fair enough it's a successor in terms of it came after Ico but it actually takes place before Ico and that's kind of Ico's origin story or maybe they are in some way related if it's not the same person. Yeah, totally. I, I, I don't think I don't think necessarily that the horned boy in Ico is the horned boy that we see in Shadow of the Colossus. I think there are I think with the with the whole Dark Queen thing that you go into in Ico, I think years and generations have passed and a and a lot of what the uh, a lot of what the Dark Queen is doing is carrying on whatever it is that she started with that horned baby in Shadow of the Colossus. I mean, it is a strange, it's a very, very strange ending. And I mean, I'm all for stuff like that. Like, I love surrealism. Uh, and I think things like that, you know, there is obviously 
there's it's myth and magic and you can kind of cover a multitude of sins with that but yeah it, it is it is strange and i guess you know if you really like shadow you don't necessarily have to play them in any order but you know go and play ico and see what you think to that so that's it that's uh that's the end of the game Agro is alive mono's alive there's a random baby it's like three men and a baby but a horse <laughs> a dead maiden and a baby with horns it's like a Disney movie, isn't it? You know, she goes up into the secret garden uh, and she's mm-hmm. like in this uh, lovely paradise and there's a bloody deer which comes over. Of course. That's Bambi's mother. I know that's the Easter egg. That's Bambi's mother. That's Bambi's mother. Picture this, right? She's having the best time. She's like, oh, this is so wonderful. You know, like birds are coming in and they're doing her hair for her. And, you know, you can see it. The, the cherry blossoms in the trees and there's like flowers everywhere. And then she thinks, ah, this will be nice. I'll stay here and then I'll go home tomorrow. And then she looks out the window and she's like, oh my God, the bridge. (laughs) (laughs) And she's just like, oh, okay. (laughs) Close up to Mono's face, just like, fuck. (laughs) The bridge is totally gone. (laughs) Uh, It's the forbidden lands for you, baby. That's it. Get an interdimensional Uber. (laughs) Your interdimensional Uber has arrived. Your driver is Wanda. God, I'd love to see Mono slash Mono's face when she realises she's stuck in that temple with a horned baby and the most resilient horse in history. Thanks so much for listening, guys. If you've got a game you want us to cover, let us know on the socials. And if you like this, maybe chuck us a cheeky review or share it with your mate who loves video game stories and help us spread the love. As always, massive thanks to Neil Kuhn for our amazing artwork, Daniel Ansel for the spoiler alarm, and Matt Chapman of Muchas Music for our ear-tickling theme song. We'll be back next month to cover our next game. Here's a clue. See you next time, you lovely lemons. Bye.